Now, you're actually a co-founder of mm-hmm. Dead Bird. There is a, another part two here yes. uh, who's not able to make it. Tell us a little bit about Jeremy and yeah. what does he do around here? I mean, <laughs> Obviously nothing. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha journalism. I didn't say that. Airing of grievances here. <laughs> right. Again, nobody listens, so you feel free <laughs> to say what you want. Stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Welcome back to the Tap Takeover podcast interview series. We're on the road again. Well, this time we're not that far. We're just uh, an 11 minute uphill walk from Pfizer Forum. We're in the Halyard Park neighborhood. First brewery to open up here. It's Dead Bird Brewery. And we are sitting here with Nick Kosas. Yep. Right now we're in an empty space. He's going to give us the lowdown of what we're going to find here when you first come into the space, when it's going to open, what plans they have for the future. Before we get started, let's go around the table and put voices to the names. I'm Jim. Andy here. I'm Nick. And this is Jesus. So like I said, we are in an empty space. So Nick, I guess let's start from the beginning. Tell us a <laughs> little bit about this, why you chose this space, and uh, how things are going. So we uh, started in Madison, decided it was time to build a brick-and-mortar facility someplace because we're currently a contract brewery. And my wife was looking for grad schools and really like Milwaukee, so we wound up coming down here. And it took us about a year to find a place that we liked. We looked uh, Third Ward, Water Street, a few spots around uh, Walker's Point and things like that, and then stumbled across this place. And one of the things we were looking for was a really cool interesting interior that had some historic value in a neighborhood that seemed to not really have a brewery in it yet so once we found this spot we were looking at the front part of the building and that walked us into this room and we took one look at it and we're like we got to be in here so it's all cream city brick this part was built in a little after 1900 like 1903 it's got big steel hand riveted trusses over the top and i think it's one of the only over 15 feet half barrel ceilings in Milwaukee that's still entirely original, which is awesome. All right, we're going to come back to this space, but let's start from the beginning. Yeah. You said you started in Madison. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the beginnings of Dead Bird. Sure. So my business partner and I both stumbled into brewing, both met in college, went to work for Capital Brewing, and I wound up working over at uh, House of Brews in Madison for a long time. And while we were there, we decided to open up our own brewery as a contract with the interesting step that I would be paid through my company would pay House of Brews to pay me to manufacture my own beer. So (laughs) (laughs) I still got to have a lot of control over the liquid we were producing and got a lot of quality assurance stuff. And so we put our first beer on shelves November of 2015. All right. So where did the name Dead Bird come from? That's a pretty interesting and slightly morbid name there. Right. The first thing you need to brew beer is a large pot. So when we started homebrewing back in college, everybody was deep frying turkeys and burning down the garages. So those big aluminum pots everywhere. (laughs) And Jeremy's parents had one up in his attic. So we went to take a look at it. And when we found it, sure enough, there was a little dead desiccated sparrow in the bottom. So I worked at the UW Chem stock room as a uh, student and I cleaned it every way I knew how acid spaces autoclave whatever but the joke always was any beer we made in that pot was always gonna have a little dead bird in it so almost 15 years later we don't have that pot anymore the name stuck and we uh, tried to cut down on the uh, morbidity if you look at our logo our bird has little X's for eyes so we're we're trying to keep them friendly trying to keep them you know we're not gonna put anybody off their pint with that so as we always do 
We're doing a little live tasting here. Tell us what we got up here first, Nick. Most of our beers are, especially any of our package stuff, is pretty strong. Uh, we only make one beer in a bottle that's under 8.5%. So this is Devil Monkey. It's our take on a New England double IPA. We tried to be a little New England and a little double IPA at the same time. It's a 8.5, or sorry, a 9.2% alcohol double IPA. Features uh, Simcoe. Citra, Amarillo hops, uh, London ale yeast, a little bit of oats to kind of keep everything smooth. It's kind of one of those beers that'll sneak up on you. It's really good when it's hot out and you can have quite a bit of it. And then you realize like, oh, this is 9%. Maybe (laughs) we'll have something else afterwards, (laughs) but we really like it. And uh, it's actually one of the beers that Milwaukee has really liked over Madison. Um, Since we're in both markets, we've got to see what does better and madison's kind of uh on devil monkey but milwaukee loves it we crank through a whole bunch of it down here i think it's the logo right yeah (laughs) it's it's pretty metal (laughs) i can see it's like the 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 alcohol hotness of it is kind of mellowed up by the softness of the beer Mm -hmm. it's it's really juicy too yeah it's a good combination of the two yeah get that bitterness but it's not so in your face you know Jim, what do you think? It's definitely a hybrid. Uh, there's a malt character there that you normally don't associate with a, a New England. 9%, you don't see many. I mean, most <laughs> of them are 7 8, but 9, 9.5, is, that's up there. Yeah. That's a big boy. Yeah, we do like our uh, big beers at Dead Bird, and we do kind of the hybrid thing, too, um, on a few of our other styles as well. Before you found that, that Dead Bird in the kettle, what was uh, kind of your aha moment that you knew you were going to be a brewer? It actually took me a while. I was homebrewing uh, in college because we thought it'd be cheaper. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> go out and buy your beer. It's way cheaper. And then uh, graduated, got my chem degree, kind of went through everything, got a job in the chemistry industry. And a couple years after that, Jeremy and I were still living together. And we were kind of looking for a hobby. And we're like, man, we used to brew a lot of beer. We should get back into that. And so when we got back into it, I think our first year we brewed like 280 gallons, which is a little over your 200-gallon legal limit. (laughs) And so a couple years after that, we started thinking like, all right, this is getting out of hand. Uh, We we need to have some other option for this. And so it took me a while to realize I was going to be a brewer, but all the things I was collecting, I was a chemistry major, worked in a bunch of uh, different tap rooms, uh, restaurant industry, things like that. I was kind of collecting all the bits that I would need to eventually open up a place. And so it really kind of all came together about four or five years ago where we're like, yeah, I think we should do this actually and stop kind of messing around. So what was the AHA beer? Ah, the AHA beer was uh, Warp Speed from Lake Louie. It was the first beer that I had because I think I was drinking, you know, Special Export by the 30-pack or something, I don't know, in college. <laughs> and uh, I think that was the first beer where I had, you know, it, now when you compare it to other things, it's like, yeah, well, you know, 15 years ago, it was a super friendly beer. It was kind of malty. It had kind of this roasty characteristic, a little bit of sweetness. And I remember, you know, somebody just handed me a bottle of something out of a cooler and I drank it. I was like, I don't even know what that is. And so I started looking into it. But yeah, that was my aha beer was uh, Warp Speed for sure. And I still really like Scotch Ales and ESBs and stuff like that, so... So are you, are you from the Madison area originally? or mm-hmm. so Yeah, I grew up in Madison. Actually, went to high school in Middleton. Went to UW-Platteville for my undergrad, and then was kind of looking at grad schools and thought maybe I'll go to grad school and wound up thinking I was going to go to Madison and then didn't go to grad school but stayed in Madison. So I've been uh, Wisconsin born and bred, and uh, now I live in Milwaukee, which is still close. So right now you're a contract brewer, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your lineup when you open up this place, flagship beers? It's interesting that you say flagship beers. We're actually trying to avoid having too many. Uh, most beer drinkers now really like to see new things. 
that's a fine line that we find. You know, when people come into a brewery, they still like to see those three, four yep. that they always see. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? And getting back to the flagship mm-hmm. beer comment. We're definitely going to have our staples. We've got the beers. Um, so the three that I brought today probably always be part of our lineup. We've built a lot of big beers that we're going to keep and probably rotate. But for sessionable stuff when we open Halyard Park Pilsner, I'm a quarter Czech. I really like Czech pills. And I think we got a pretty bang on good, really classic Czech pills, which I think will work well for Milwaukee. We're going to have a beer called Pomplamoose, which is the only other beer that we package right now in Bombers. It's uh, 5.5% all Cascade and Amarillo grapefruit pale. Uh, uses California ruby red grapefruit dust. That's kind of our fence-sitter beer. If people aren't quite into craft beer yet and they're interested in what we have, we give them one of those, and that kind of you know, opens them up. We're definitely, we got uh, Pilcrow Coffee moving in over here, so we're definitely going to have a nice sessionable coffee stout on probably a smaller version of a beer that we did called Coffee Bomb, brought down into a sessionable level, so it's not 10.5%. You know, we'll always have some big stuff on too, so... So how many, how many tap lines are you going to have to start off? Uh, 16. One of them is going to be a dedicated gluten-free line. So it'll either always have a gluten-free beer on or a, uh, a cider. Probably going to have one line that's always a soda. we got a couple uh, in-house sodas that we're looking to do. So And then everything else will kind of rotate. Well, you know, when we open, we may look a little more like a craft beer bar than a brewery. We'll have a lot of our friends' beers on tap. And then, uh, you know, we'll kind of grow into it. And we one of the things we really want to have is good interaction with our clientele here. We want to... You know, what are they interested in us making? We want to take a number of our beers. So the beer that uh, Jesus is about to open over there is uh, Wine Thief. That's one of the beers we want to play with quite a bit. It's a beer-wine hybrid. Andy's opening. I don't have a bottle opener. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Can't use your choppers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're looking to take some of our staple beers and also do some interesting things with them. Uh, wine Thief is a beer-wine hybrid. This one is uh, Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc blended with a Belgian wit. We use... Uh, California Napa Valley grape musk and add that at about 30-35% of the fermentables and I'm really interested in doing that with uh, oh that sounds nice (laughs) Uh, I'm interested in doing that with uh, some other grape musk so hopefully we'll have a rosé one using some drier French red grapes so how many do you bottle you said right now we have four beers out in bombers these three in pomplamoose and then you were talking before we got started that you're eventually going to go to cans. We started right before. The market has shifted so much since we've been around. And bombers are great for specialty beers, which kind of drove us to make a lot of big high alcohol stuff. Done a bunch of crazy stouts some other stuff. But we're looking to get into smaller packaging. Retailers like it better than bombers. You know, usually bombers are off in that little nook or in the corner or they're not even there. And so we're looking to do uh, cans, and we'll do some uh, on-site canning here of our smaller batch stuff. People can take home a crowler or even a 16-ounce pint can. What do you think of the trend of the the super small cans I've been seeing lately? Get the four (laughs) packs of eight-ounce cans. I was talking about that with somebody over the weekend. And there's, I can't so remember cute. which Chicago right, which Chicago brewery it was, I think but it's they Saint Saint Yeah, they did uh, Little Buddy or whatever it was. It's it's funny. I think you know, 20 years from now, we're just going to be buying like one one ounce can at a time, and your power <laughs> oh, hour will get a lot easier. Yeah, it, they they do seem to keep getting smaller. You know, I I get it. You know, going back to that variety thing, people are interested in trying this beer, trying that beer, and if you're going to try four or five beers, maybe you don't want to open 20 ounces of them at a time. And I mean, that totally makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that's what Russ Klisch told us, too. He's They're moving away from those 20-ounce, yep. going all 12-ounce and cans and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, even the guys who are in pints have kind of started looking at maybe moving to 12-ounce stuff unless you have, you know, like a really good dedicated pint market. 
for cans. Right. Getting back to the uh, having the guest beers on tap, yeah. something I've always wondered: Does that require a, a special liquor license? Or it says the liquor license that you're issued to serve your own beers uh, allow you to bring in outside taps. So one of the nice things that's been part of us coming up is right now federally we have a wholesaler permit and through the state we have a paper brewery permit but we're going to retain that wholesaler permit and then we've also applied and received our federal brewery permit as well technically if we wanted to we could act as a a wholesaler if we went through the paperwork but that wholesaler and, and brewery permit Seems to have most of the bases covered with us uh, having a guest beer on tap. That's right up until somebody from the DOR walks in and decides that's not the case anymore. But um, <laughs> we things tend to be shifting depending on who you talk to occasionally. But it does seem like we got our bases covered for that. Do you have any thoughts that there's some pushback from the Wisconsin Tavern League on breweries having tap rooms, especially multiple tap rooms, and now you're bringing in guest test lines. And you're competing yeah. against bars and per se. Do you think you really are competing against uh, you know, a local bar? I mean, if, if there was, and there are some out there that are just beer bars that don't have food and don't have hard alcohol and don't have wine and things like that, those few bars may be our direct competition and even not so much to the same degree just given the variety that they can bring in. But um, that's that's one of those things. If if we had, <laughs> if you had a really long podcast, I'd love to, <laughs> to really get into the nuances of it. I, I just don't see that being the case. We're such a regulated industry and it's, it's so hard to get up and running and get enough coming in your door revenue wise, especially with distributors, if you are distributing or just, you know, the sheer competition that's out there where it, it just seems like another great way to hamstring our industry. And given the the massive impact that breweries have on Wisconsin tourism, it just seems like a, a bad fight to be fighting. Speaking of getting up and running, how did contract brewing for the number of years you have help you uh, finance the, the space you're building into now? For sure. It's, it's helped us a lot. We came from uh, kind of a tech startup background. We had three or four-ish uh, tech startups under our belt, and all of them were like really... Uh, slim startup models, uh, not a lot of big financial investments. So when we decided to start, really we had to buy our fleet of kegs and enough money to scrape together for our first batch of beer. Kind of the only way we could go about doing that was being a contract model. It just got to the point where, you know, we wanted to have we wanted to have that connection with our clientele that we were kind of missing. We'd been hearing for three years, hey, where's your brewery? And it's like, yeah, we don't quite have one yet. Financial-wise, it's it's definitely been easier. Business-wise, we were cash flow positive in the first eight months, uh, which, you know, Doesn't for, happen often. Yeah, I mean, there's some friends of mine who have breweries that are that are still working on it and they've been open for uh, two years or longer that slim startup model definitely was the only way that we're here today is by keeping our costs low initially until we can get to the point where now we've got the demand now we can get out there and now we can actually uh, fund a bigger tap room without having to go to a bank and take out a massive loan so have you been able to mostly self-finance then? Is debt load pretty low? Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, we do have a number of investors. Most of them are our lawyer is an investor. The guy who's doing the build out for the tap room that we're currently sitting in, he's an investor. Uh, our graphics guy owns a part of the company. So we've we've been able to build a really great team that's also interested in kind of owning a small piece of a brewery for fun. And uh, we really haven't had to raise that much money because we had money in the bank from being around for a couple of years. We still had to go out and raise money, but... <laughs> yeah, you just had a successful Kickstarter. So, yep, yeah, so our Kickstarter finished up on Saturday. We had a bunch of people come out. We had a few uh, big donors who 
kind of surprised us, but uh, we did a mini one of those when we originally started to buy that first fleet of kegs. We threw a small party. We sold some beer, which I don't know if that was allowed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, people kind of came out and we had everybody sign a keg and we still got a couple of those kegs kicking around that have everybody's name on it from when we started. So we've always been able to go back to our friends and family and community and stuff like that to have them help us out if, if we need it. So. And from all the people you've interviewed, I mean, that's definitely not not the norm in this industry. Yep. I mean, it's got to be a tremendous weight that's not on your shoulders. <laughs> I, <know>. I was <laughs> talking with the Venture Bruco guys a while back, and they, they've got really great support of their community, and they, you know, they wanted to get open and get moving, and, you know, they've got a lot of bank debt, and uh, that's, that's one thing that's, I think, will kind of allow us to be a little more footloose on some of the beers we make, because we're not always looking to pay down our debt. Sure. Um, allow you to hire some staff too yeah for sure i don't want to be doing everything myself <laughs> <laughs> getting back to our tasting this is this is a fairly delicate beer for mm-hmm. the high abv i think one question i have is probably for our listeners and for my own edification what is grape must <laughs> so when you take a grape and you squish it the liquid that comes out is grape juice but if you then put all the solids in that are part of the fruit, so the skin seeds for the tannins things like that all that stuff put together is grape must Okay, so like um, the, all the solid fermentables. Yep, yeah, and so we bring some of that over as well. This beer, as it ages, really brings out more of the wine characteristic. You know, it's only fermented with that Belgian wheat yeast, so it's a beer yeast working on uh, fruit sugars as well as everything else that's in there. And it's um, always been a really unique kind of beer, and it changes from year to year because the grapes change from year to year. So, so is this um, bottle condition? Is there the original wit yeast still in there working? Or um, is it pretty stuff, much OJ? Yeah, none of our stuff fi- is, gravity. None of our stuff is uh, bottle conditioned, but we also don't filter anything. We don't use really any fining agents for the most part. So any of our beers are all going to have a little bit of yeast at the bottom. Considering none of these have gotten that cold, I would assume that they're always still fairly active, plus the oxidation and everything else that goes with storing a beer over time. It's interesting because you've got those wit characteristics. There's definitely esters coming out of the nose. And, and then this very interesting wine flavor kind of coming through as well it's it's a, another very interesting night but <laughs> well, it's yeah i was gonna say there's almost a theme here right because <laughs> it's the second beer we've had and it's a and is a good blend of the two things yeah you definitely taste that belgian beer and you get that wine kind of the grapiness i'm sure you listen to all our episodes of the podcast <laughs> but a con- consistent theme throughout it has always been we've always been very interested in aging beers most of our collection are these big stouts and mm-hmm we hold on to for several years. So a lot of brewers have different opinions on whether or not you should be aging their beers or not. Where do you, what's your take on all this? A lot of our beers are like Pomplamoose. It's a session pale. We make it often and we try and keep it, you know, 90 days rolling as often as possible, depending on our retailer. So I'm usually on the side of beer should be fresh, especially if it's hoppy. We built it a specific way for a reason. But at the same time, you know, like Wine Thief, that is one I encourage people to buy two bottles of or three bottles of. And then open or them case, as you they know. change. Or a case, <laughs> sure. Um, if you got room for it or whatever. We take and credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> I got a square reader in my pocket. Yeah, so. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I encourage people to, you know, take that beer, age it, cellar it, you know, keep it at a cellarable temp and not in your fridge because it does change and it is super dynamic. We also have some of our stouts, you know, we've done uh, Mustache Wax, which was a bourbon vanilla stout. It was already barrel aged and, uh, you know, the characteristics definitely change quite a bit in that one. So 
you can sell her some of our beers like that, as well as uh, our big coffee stout, too. Kind of holds up. So I guess I would be more on the end of it depends on the beer. I usually don't hang on to beers very long. <laughs> they tend <laughs> to go pretty quick around my we're, house. We're getting but. to be that way, too. It's just like <laughs> we're kind of disappointed at some of the stuff in our cellars. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, it does kind of seem like a bit of a crapshoot. If you're saving stuff from a really massive brewery that has a huge... QAQC department, great. If you're, you know, aging stuff from a smaller guy, not that we don't make clean beer, it's just, you know, we're not intending people to keep it for a year or two years or longer. I want to follow up with the wine thief because you said there was different different wines basically, right? Mm-hmm. How many have you made? How many different variations are there so far? Uh, so the large batch stuff, we've always stuck with the, the Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc. We have played around, so Napa Valley, California, their harvest is in the fall. We have played around with doing a southern harvest version with an Argentinian Tarantes, uh, which is another like kind of dry, kind of fruity white wine. And we did a small batch of that for a festival, I think, and that was really solid. And I've done some small batches that didn't last very long because we drank them pretty quick um, with some uh, with some reds, uh, kind of a French red blend that's mostly Carmenere. We've done a couple of them. It's definitely something I want to play around with and kind of get a, a Wine Thief series as opposed to just a single beer because it's really interesting to me. Just, yeah, the, just the way it's worked out has just been really, really interesting, and I want to keep playing around with it. And that's why I asked. I was just wondering if they, you had a different name for it, a version two or whatever. Yeah, not not yet. I think we're probably going to stick with Wine Thief and just name it after the the varietal that's in it and kind of see see how it goes. One thing I did notice is is basically on all the bottles I've seen from you here, it says limited release mm-hmm. on the side of it. Yeah, is, so that, is that sort of like an intentional like marketing thing? I mean, all these beers are brewed once a year. Okay, um, and so it kind of depends on the retailer where you're finding it some of them are more summer beers like i said wine thief we can only brew once a year it comes out in september and we can only do it when we have the grape must kind of depends um if you look at pomplamoose it doesn't have that on it (laughs) (laughs) and we'll probably have kind of the similar feel you know when our tap rooms open some beers will be around all the time some beers will be around once a year and some beers you know we may put them on go "Eh." And take them off. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So. Gotcha. So we'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll go from the cellar aging we were just talking about to barrel aging. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have you have quite a lot of space here. Yes. <laughs> so is, is this something uh, you might guys are going to dabble in pretty heavily? I mean, you can you can stack a lot up to that ceiling up there. Yeah, the center <laughs> of our ceiling is 20 feet. Yeah. So I can fit quite a few. I got some barrel racks right there. It's definitely going to be one of those things where we're hoping to take you know like a base stout. Uh, that we make and put it into a few different barrels. So we'll probably get a uh, unflavored base uh, stout from that we manufacture over at Mopcraft and then put it into three or four different barrels and see what happens. So do you have a preferred barrel person or you go through uh, John on the falls? Not not yet. We're going to House of Brews. We tend to use the Griffin Barrel Boys for stuff. Okay. They're going back to the wine stuff. Uh, Lewis Station Winery in Lake Mills tends to uh, have some pretty good quality barrels and... Uh, I'm friends with Rob out there, so hopefully we'll be doing some wine barrel stuff with uh, definitely his Cabernet and maybe a few others. Well, I think this is a good time to take a little break, refill our glasses, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the space, about what to expect when it first opens, uh, when will it open, right? So we'll uh, be- drink more beer. And drink more beer. <laughs> and we'll be right back. This is Nick from Dead Bird Brewing Company, and you're listening to the Tap Takeover Podcast. 
All right, so we'll continue here on uh, the second half of the podcast. Uh, let's talk about your new brew house. you got to be really <laughs> excited, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for it to get here. So <laughs> what size is it going to be, and tell us all about it. Is it two-barrel, three-barrel? Mm-hmm. How big is that hot mash tun? So we're looking at doing a three-barrel system, hopefully trying to keep things small so we can rotate out beers fairly quickly but we also do a lot of high gravity stuff so our mash tun will be a little bit bigger than is needed for the system because high gravity beers need more grain that also gives us the size to be able to split batches if we want to brew one beer split it with two yeasts we can put you know half into one barrel fermenters and see how they go mostly what we're looking to do here is pilot and do some more small batch barrel aging small batch fruit aging wood aging things like that to then bring to our uh, contract brewery and scale up uh, if we have the demand for it. Yeah, so you're still going to continue to contract. How does that work, uh, that contract brewing? Are you beholden to uh, your current contract brewer, or are you able to shop around with an open relationship? <laughs> we are in an open relationship. Henry over at Mobcraft just went, what? <laughs> but, what? Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah, nobody That's li- good. Nobody listens nobody to Nobody really listens to <laughs> um, By the way, thanks for having us. Right, yeah. <laughs> It's been really nice, mostly because we haven't, you know, when we started out as a contract, I was brewing the beer at the contract brewery, and then Mobcraft was also at House of Brews, so I was moonlighting for them, so i do my shift at House of Brews, and then i do another couple hours taking care of Mobcraft seller stuff when I was there, so we've had a really good connection with our contract brewer. We were there in some shape or form, even if it was just me or us just having a beer, almost from the get-go. It doesn't, you know, there are contract brewer but we still kind of have a really in-depth connection with those guys and i'm there whenever our beer is being made i could go shop around but it's really nice having a good connection and being able to you know i i can get annoying i'll text their their brewers over there and ask for gravities ask for you know color <laughs> tastes everything else and i always hear back from them right away so it's uh it's been a really nice relationship and i think you know we haven't had a lot of the issues that some of the other contract brands might have with another contract brewer because we know those guys really well well i mean you at the end of the day you're paying for it too right yeah also i'm a paying customer so (laughs) (laughs) my beer needs to be correct so speaking of contract brewing i mean that's sort of you know you started collaborating with other breweries Mm -hmm. um what's your plans as far as collaborations it seems to be the hot hip thing nowadays everybody's working with one another and uh any future plans for collaborations with anyone uh, uh, from back home in Madison or here in Milwaukee? We've kind of bandied it about. One of the things that's kept us from scheduling a lot of collaborations is our build-out. We uh, really kind of want to time them up for when we're actually opening. So we've done some stuff for Madison Craft Beer Week. We're releasing a beer at Text Hubs on May the 4th called It's a Trap Pissed because they do a Star Wars release every year. <laughs> May the 4th be with you. Um, and also with you. Right. <laughs> Do we have to shake hands now? So yeah, we're, we're doing that one. That was a really fun beer to make. We've kind of been fans of Sunshine from when they started, and uh, it's been cool to see them grow as another small brewery, especially in Lake Mills. Uh, locally, we've talked about doing some stuff maybe with St. Francis, some really weird old school kind of beers that we're still working on and looking at, but uh, I'm, I'm sure more of them will crop up. We just haven't been uh, putting them in the pipeline because we don't want to jump the gun too early so <laughs> have you made a lot of friends here in uh, milwaukee yet with the yeah I mean, it's, it's a, the scene is very close you know everybody kind of it is to each other. and you know coming out of the madison scene you know i was in the beer industry 
uh, for probably four years up there. For some reason, Milwaukee has this really tight, close-knit, convivial feel to it that Madison, not that it doesn't have that, not that everybody isn't friends and we all get along, but like the Milwaukee thing, I can wander into, I live just south of uh, Gathering Place, and I'm a blogger head and they make some great loggers and so i stopped in there i think a week after my wife and i moved in was like hey i'm nick i'm opening a brewery here's my card and like those guys have been awesome and everybody else that i've bumped into we're actually doing a thing at urban harvest this upcoming saturday called uh, bip brewery in progress and what they do for their uh, anniversary party every year is have other breweries that are opening up come in talk about their uh their beer talk about uh their brewery and so it's it's got this really nice convivial uh, feel and attitude to it. So everybody yeah, here has been really welcoming. It's not really competitive from what I've gotten. It's Everybody's kind of in the same boat. You know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And even, you know, I when we were getting started, I sent some stuff out and was like, hey, people in Milwaukee, the other brewers, like, who do you like for contractors? Who's your electrical guy? Who's your plumber? And I got a whole bunch of comments back. And then even if people didn't have a recommendation, they said, you know, welcome to Milwaukee. Come on down, you know. Like the guys from Good City are just south of us. Like, hey, if you want to come down and have a beer, walk through, drop by anytime. Talk so shop. Been, yeah, it's been really nice. You're not really sure why there's uh, kind of this cultural difference, but I mean, the, there are a number of breweries in Madison, especially a lot of new ones. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's some old guard for sure, you know, mm-hmm. Great Dane, Capital. Why do you think that kind of brotherhood isn't there? I don't know. Like the, the differences between Madison and Milwaukee, we took a glance at Madison for real estate and it just wasn't there. And we took a glance at Milwaukee and there was a whole bunch of opportunity down here. And I don't know if it's, you know, like everybody's still all in that same boat, but that boat is really small. You know, like there's less share of the market and the costs are so much higher. It means, you know, the risks are a little higher. And so you're all kind of fighting a little more for your piece. I don't know if that's the case. You know, I'll be the first to say I'm fairly new to Milwaukee, but, uh, you know, having lived in Madison a long time and brewed at a couple different breweries there, it just seems like there's something a little different. Not that I would have any problem working in a Madison brewery again, but... Okay, you're you're pretty savvy as far as business and real estate, (laughs) because let's talk about this location a little bit. I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic, and uh, we'll have pictures, um, you know, on all the social media and and on our webpage and stuff like that that you can page through, but when this is all said and done, I mean, it's going to be a a beautiful establishment. Why don't you talk about the history and some of the unique qualities of your space? Sure. You know, the the building's really old. Uh, This section, like I said, was built in 1904. And we really wanted to keep a lot of those aspects of it and showcase a lot of that. So we're not going to try and cover up the Cream City brick. We're not going to paint it. You know, we're going to keep the trusses open. We're not going to put in a lower ceiling. And then the things we are going to bring in are going to try and fit into the space in a more natural way. So it's a pretty loud, hard space acoustically in here. And so we're going to try and bring in a lot of wood to also kind of warm everything up. So... Our cooler is going to be clad in uh, reclaimed barn wood. Our bar is going to be uh, oak on top and reclaimed clad on the front. We're going to put in some cool panels over uh, the cinder block that infill for the windows and really kind of try and marry the, you know, the wood that we're putting up is as old as the building is. You know, like it was taken off a barn that was built probably around the same time this building was built. So we're kind of trying to keep a lot of the same 
not to get all mushy, but synergies uh, <laughs> and feel about about the space. So even though we are bringing in new elements, those elements are going to match the elements that are already here, and we're going to try and be really friendly to the architecture and not try and cover it up in any way. So what about what about the party space we visited upstairs? Right. I mean, that is going to be that's going to be you know fucking impressive once <laughs> once it's all said and done. I mean, with the views uh, and 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 the old the old wood on the floor that you're mm-hmm. going to finish. I mean. Tell us, tell us some of your plans about that. One of the things we wanted to have is an event space. You know, they, they work really well as added income. They also give you a spot for more people. Uh, things seem to really promote event spaces in the Milwaukee area as well. So that space is up on the third floor of the front part of the building. It was the offices of the grocery delivery company that was here back in the 1800s. And so we're hoping to use that for kind of special occasion kinds of things weddings, birthday parties, things like that. It's got this really unique truss system that was architecturally built to allow the function of the floor below it to be there without having any beams or anything. So yeah, the view's great and we're really hoping to get that going as a event space. And so as we wrap up talking about the building, uh, as we were talking on our, on our break, why don't you give yourself a little bit of commercials? Because everything <laughs> in here is uh, for rent, for retail space, for office hours, correct? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we'll be a pub, you know, a tap room uh, in the evenings, but we are looking to do small office gatherings, things like that, up to 100 people here during the day. We'll have a projector stage, microphone sound system, so if you want to come have a cool spot for your next business gathering. Um, you know, we can do some uh, catering down the road and, you know, it's okay to have a beer with lunch nowadays. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll be able to fulfill that need to. When, when was it not? Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody told me that. We never time. got that memo. <laughs> right. It's been a while since we've had our last beer. So <laughs> it's like the Sahara. <laughs> I think we need to move on to uh, number three here, which is the one I've been really looking forward to as well. It's been staring at me here. Muscle man. Yeah. The unintimable. Yeah, tell us about this one. It's it's muscle man. It was uh, one of our carryovers. So when we started as a a home brewer, we wanted to make a 10-100 beer. So we wanted to make a beer that's 10% alcohol and 100 IBU. And, you know, our tiny little system, I think, cranked out like two gallons of you know, syrup, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so when we grew up and became a, you know, a real brewery, we wanted to uh, see if we can do that. So uh, the unthinkable muscle man here is a... Uh, unthinkable, Jim. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> it's not, it's not really a big the word. Unthinkable. <laughs> the uh, I could, the I lighting could. in here isn't great. But uh, yeah, we wanted to keep going with that. You know, we're, we're hopheads, but we don't want to wreck anybody's palate. It's a really nice, big, multi... Good thing uh, you stopped pour. at 100 IBUs then. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just enough but, to rip your face off, right? right. Uh, the malt really kind of helps balance it out. You know, the alcohol is definitely there. It's a good food beer. It's a good barbecue beer. Well, that's... The SRM is uh, pretty high on this. Yeah. yeah so this it's, is this it's one's darker. this one's not a mixed in with some port wine barrels uh, or anything. No. This is just a straight up double IPA. Yeah. Right? This is just a straight up old double. school West Coast. <laughs> yep. The old school weightlifter on the on the label. Yep. Yeah. We actually uh, marketed this as Strong Man and got our very first cease and desist Ooh. letters oh, from so, uh, Highwire so Brewing Company. <laughs> You've made and, it. Uh, <laughs> right. We sent them where, a case. Where, and, where is Highwire Brewing? Uh, North Carolina, I think. Okay, They're so out east. <laughs> but they had their national trademark. We sent them a case, and we have not gotten our case back for their strongman. But uh, they had uh, quite a few lawyers, and so we decided to call it Muscle Man. And 
This is uh, one of the beers we put out our first year that we were in, and now it's uh, you know one we try and do every summer. It's probably going to become more of a fall seasonal. It will come out after Wine Thief, right after the wine harvest or the wine grape harvest. So, uh, what do you guys think? Well, this th- is a double IPA, man. Yeah, <laughs> it you know, it, it is surprising. This is actually reminds me a lot of my. Uh, Attempts at recreating Stoneware Nation, mm-hmm. you know, when we couldn't get it, uh, just trying to throw, you know, a lot of malt, and not really knowing <laughs> <laughs> what's going on. Um, yeah, big malt backbone, a lot of IBUs. Yeah, there's no shortage of IBUs and bitterness on this. So, uh, what did you say the hops were? Uh, it's got uh, Cascade, Centennial, and Simcoe in it, and then it's bittered with Chinook. And then the malt bill is about a hundred pounds per barrel. Uh, with a uh, small touch of rye on the end. It's about 2.5% rye, and uh, that kind of gives it like a nice uh, kind of spicy note on the end. Uh, the malt, the malt backbone on this is impressive. I mean, yeah. it's just, it totally backs up all the hops and spiciness to it. Yeah, I don't know if it's just me. Or I think it's a trend or something, but we're... I've been doing a lot of the... It seems like a Midwest thing, that, that heavy malt yeah. backbone. <laughs> but also the, that, that bitterness is not something that I've been purchasing or kind of going towards lately. It's just a lot of that citrusy, that juicy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when I get a little bit of uh, this in-your-face bitterness, it's a yeah, little overwhelming. Yeah, the old-school palate record. I yeah. still like it. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's great. Throwback but it's just like, to... Six it's, years ago? <laughs> yeah. Try like three. It's just, some, right. it's just something I'm not, uh, have not right. done lately. You, you, know? get, you get a lot of the, uh, the juicy, the hazy, the, yeah, yeah. the other bits. Um, you know, we're going to... It all blends well, though. It's, yeah. None really overtakes the other. Yep. You know? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to keep it on because it's, you know, like you mentioned, people like having those couple of beers they really like and... You know, I still know like one guy who drinks IPAs a lot, so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll keep it around for him and everybody else. But um, it's kind of one of those challenge beers to make. You just want to see if you can do it, and uh, it's always been kind of a pain in the ass every time we make it. So we keep making it. <laughs> <laughs> and the one thing, other thing I've noticed in here is it's got great head. That was actually, uh, you know, when we started making recipes that was back when like foam retention head retention lacing in the glass was all the stuff you looked for yeah and so we built our recipes around doing that and i still like i'm a guy with a mustache i kind of like having a little beer in my mustache you know when i'm when i'm done drinking and flavor saver that's yeah right (laughs) that's one of those things you know not that i you know i'm not gonna make a bunch of fruity juicy you know juice bomb milkshake ipas and whatever people enjoy tell me more but um (laughs) You know, we. I still kind of want to stick to some of the some of the old classics on a few things, and like, I'm gonna have an ESB on, and nobody's gonna drink it but me, and I'm gonna be okay with that. <laughs> you know it all. It'll be there. Right? <laughs> so this is our the last beer that you have. Which one of these is like, I guess, rank them as far as like the popularity? Because they've all come out at different times. Wine Thief is always a surprising one. People crush it at festivals. They really like it, you know, in the summer, which is why we're thinking about doing a spring one. Devil Monkey probably has to be our best seller. And then, uh, you know, Muscle Man's probably down towards the back, mostly because the, uh, like you said, the beer market shifted. Yeah. Um, but when it came out, it was, you know, fairly popular. and We've still been doing it. But um, I'd kind of, I'd go Devil Monkey, Wine Thief, Muscle Man. Our keg lineup is kind of totally different. Halyard Park Pilsner, when we did that one, that sold out almost immediately. And then we've got a, uh, a really sessionable pail called Whistler that is keg only right now. It's like 4.8%. 
and uh, we've been tearing through that. So Now, you're actually a co-founder of mm-hmm. Dead Bird. There is another part two here yes. uh, who's not able to make it. Tell us a little bit about Jeremy. And So, like I said, we've done a bunch of startup stuff, and uh, we realized pretty early on every startup needs to have a dream crusher. They need to have the guy that comes in and goes, we just don't have the money for that, and stomps on a dream, and you go, all right, he's probably right. So that's Jeremy's current job. <laughs> uh, before this, though, uh, Muscle Man is actually his original recipe from our homebrew days. So he does have some beer brewing chops. He worked front of house at Capital for a long time. You know, is is still on advising the company financially in terms of uh, how we do. And his background is project management. Has been very good at managing all the projects that we've done. So, <laughs> so is he still uh, kept his day job? He does. Yep. He has a day job in Madison, travels a bit. The company uh, you know, could really only support one founder when I left my day job. It came down to me or him, and it was definitely going to be me. <laughs> I mean, if you need any more disparaging phone calls or texts, we're, we're on board. Perfect. <laughs> so let's keep on talking about partners, because you said the graphic designer is also a partner, right? Or yeah. a, a smaller partner, I guess you would say. Yep. Talk about the design of the labels. Yeah. All of our labels, one of the things, we always kind of wanted to be an art-driven brand, and we've tried to stick to that as much as possible. So our labels, um, Muscle Man, Wine Thief, Strumpet, were all uh, hand-drawn by a friend of ours. She's a pen and ink artist uh, named Jillian. She does some really awesome artwork. And uh, so she hand-drew all of that stuff, and then we passed it off to our graphic website heavy metal guy ian and uh he colorized all of our stuff moved some of the uh, images around to make it work on the label and then built the label frame as we call it our most metal label devil monkey is an ian original he came up with the name looked up the story about what the devil monkey actually is and then uh, also uh kind of built the label around that so he uh he has a small portion in the company we actually gave that to him for all the work that he's done and we definitely didn't give him enough but um you know, it's, it's, again, our motto is outstanding beer, upstanding gentlemen. And so we want to try and embody both of those. And giving back to the guys that have helped us out has been something we try and do often. In addition to, obviously, having the uh, tap room here, you're going to have a lot of activities uh, mm-hmm. for your patrons to come and enjoy. What are some of those? So uh, we're going to have a 20 to 25 unit retro stand-up arcade, pinball, Pac-Man, things like that. And those will rotate out occasionally. We'll have tournaments on them. We're also going to have a uh, indoor bocce court here, hopefully about 30 feet if we can find a spot to put it. <laughs> and uh, we'll do uh, bocce tournaments and uh, petanque if you want to play the French version. Uh, we'll also be available. Uh, we'll have a projection screen that does uh, Wisconsin sports only and everything else will probably be weird old-timey sci-fi movies. And uh, we're hoping to pair with a few uh, local board game shops and have uh, board game nights where you can come in, try out a new board game that they bring in, get a discount down the road, and also play some of the games that we have too. So now your, your focus is, is the high ABV beers. I mean, mm-hmm. you did just mention, you know, having an ESB on tap. Any future plans on uh, doing any sours? Um, we're probably, for right now, because we're a brewery that's all in one room, we're probably going to, if we do a sour, it'll probably be a kettle sour, an incidental one, if we have a barrel that kind of goes the wrong way. But, um, you know, it is something we're looking into, especially if we do expand in the future into that other space. We're hoping to do some sours and uh, do some barrel fermentations as well, so... See how still, things go on. You're that. still going to contract. You could always do that through Mobcraft. That's right? also true. They've <laughs> had plenty of sours. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to follow up on that because you talk about expanding into the next space. As we're wrapping up here, 
just excited to have this new space open. But every brewer that we've met and talked to has already has a problem with space, and they need to yep. expand. So before you even open, yes, you already have plans to expand within the same building, right? Yeah. So um, we we wanted to make sure when we start the build out, it was always kind of tap room first initially, and so we're putting in a much larger tap room than we would if we didn't have the ability to expand in here. You know, the total space is 3,300 and 1,700 square feet of that is seating uh, for the tap room and the bar. And so, you know, our production area right now is only about 450, 480 square feet. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to expand through the, uh, the wall in the future if we need to. So I think we're about all out of beer here. Uh, so we want to thank Nick for his uh, time today here on the Tap Takeover podcast. Keep an eye on social media uh, where I'm sure they can find you on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Facebook. So uh, all of them. When, uh, do we have a tentative opening date uh, when people should really keep an eye on? I would love to be open for Memorial Day at the end of May. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, we're very active on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we also have our Building a Brewery blog where I do weekly posts about uh, things that are going on. And as our construction goes, there's going to be a lot more of those. So if you want to stay up to date, check out that blog or subscribe to our mailing list. All right. So uh, hopefully the uh, Bucks will still be playing at the time you're opening. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully sometime, huge. I think the finals are in July or August. I don't right. know. They seem to go on forever. So as we finish the last dregs of uh, Muscle Man, I'm Jim. Andy here. I'm Nick. Jesus. And this has been another solid non-fail production. <laughs>